Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard, the president of Gospel App Ministries, gospel-app.com. So, and by the way, I just want to thank you for so much feedback on the Sermon on the Mount podcast, as well as the Advent series. Uh, we're having fun with that, with some of the skits and dramas. And, and so we really appreciate the feedback. A lot of people are saying they've never heard some of this before. So that's great. And listen, we're raising the bar for dialogue on this critical message by Jesus. I mean, we're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, but the stuff he's dropping is just amazing. And remember, at the beginning, I said that the Sermon on the Mount was the cornerstone for the entire Gospel of Matthew. So it's important we get it right. And unfortunately, here's what I find as people preach through this and and write about the Sermon on the Mount. When they get to this point, and when they get to these sections, these little tidbits, if they haven't taken the right path, the messages could come across as insensitive and, frankly, abusing. Uh, no matter how much we try to dress it up, to see what I mean. I can't think of another passage, maybe the next one as well, but another passage than this one that's been abused and caused so much shame, anxiety for Christians, people that Jesus loves. And it's it's ironical, right? Because from pulpits all around the land, you hear, stop being anxious. You're disappointing Jesus, and that's the implication. Unbelievers are looking at you, and and they don't see anything that's going to draw them to Jesus, and that's on you. We need to work hard at being, uh, uh, to stop being anxious, you know? So people leave church going, yeah, what, (laughs) something must be wrong with me. Maybe I need drugs or something, right? Uh, Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe I don't have faith at all. And all of that, listen, produces anxiety. Right? So we're actually causing the problem. It's a circular thing. Um, Or maybe they they tell you, you're just not thinking straight. I want you to be reasonable here. And let me convince you about the logic of not being anxious. Uh, Does anybody here have teens? (laughs) Look, uh, God knows your pain. He knows you're worried and he's good. Don't you think that he loves you? Again, more anxiety. And look, we're an anxiety epidemic per the University of Michigan's Healthy Mind Survey, which is a nationwide survey of college students, the vast majority between 18 and 25, and they've been doing this since 2014 or even before that. But since 2014 to 2021, pretty recent stuff, depression has doubled. Severe depression is up 83%. Anxiety disorder up 70%. Eating disorders are up 33%. Suicide ideation is up 30%. The, uh, this, this thing they call the overall positive mental health is down 28%. And this is not all due to COVID. All of these numbers were steadily increasing between 2014 and 2018 as well. So this is an important, relevant message by Jesus about anxiety. And let me, before I take a break for a sponsor, let me give voice to those who in shame and anxiety have left your churches. There are poor Christians, they say, who are starving. Why wouldn't they be anxious? There are abused Christians who live in fear. Why wouldn't they be anxious? There are Christians whose lives are riddled with prejudice and bullying and and failure and unfairness, unfair loss of reputation, who've been kicked out of families in shame, who don't get the equal breaks with everybody else. They're suffering from disease, dementia, depression, loneliness, PTSD. 
There's godly women out there who've lost it all, can't pay rent. Doesn't God love them more than birds? Where's God for them? Is there anyone out there for them, for me? Anxiety. So tell me then, Jesus, what do you mean when you say don't be anxious? Right? Anybody else other than me have tried that and failed? And did it make you more anxious? <laughs> and did it make you more ashamed? All right. I need to stop and get a, our initial word from our sponsors. We'll be right back and plunge into this very important podcast. And I suspect that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind a number of people who might just benefit, who you know, Christians who are actually anxious. And it's been a season of anxiety for them. Many of them have probably left the organized, hallowed halls of religion over this very issue, because when they come to church, they feel more anxious. Why go? And they're not alone. Please, please, I'm begging you, get this out to them. They may just thank you. All right, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, welcome back. Couple reminders. This section of Jesus, this uh, paragraph, is not being proclaimed to the comfortable, wealthy landowners of Galilee, the the grape and wine barons, the international traders with contracts with the Nabataeans and Rome and Alexandria. This is being directed primarily, per Matthew, to a group of people, the poor in spirit, the men, women, boys, and girls, who had every human right to be anxious. I mean, I mean, how would they not have been anxious unless they're sociopaths? They were socially isolated. They were no doubt lonely, maybe depressed. Many would uh, have to beg. So at the end of the day, their survival might depend upon their efforts and a little luck. God? what Trust in God? No doubt many of them, perhaps most of them, were told that they were under the disfavor of God. If, if she or he existed, they were cursed. They were unclean. Many of them, if they were Jews, weren't welcome in the temple. Uh, So look, there was no remedy for them to change their lots through sacrifice, and likely they've tried. The same frustration would have been felt by the non-Jews, right? Fate, or the heavens, or their gods, you know, didn't have anything for them. They were on their own. Why not be anxious? It's just human. I'm going to talk about that. And secondly, this section is in the shadow of Jesus' teaching on prayer. Remember the previous podcast? If you haven't heard the four podcasts on prayers, I'm asking you to go and check that out. Send it to people that you know, Christians who struggle with prayer. And by the way, you might be surprised. That's, that's pretty much all of us. So what should our prayers emphasize? Remember, the most important thing is that God be hallowed, and that God get the glory, uh, that God's will be done, not mine. But 
wait a second, what if mine is for economic security, for food, for clothing, for shelter? What if I have to pay the rent today for the rest of the week or feed my children or get medical help for my spouse or family or be safe on the roads with all the thieves? In Galilee, this was a problem. To fund the rebellion, the zealots resorted to to robbery a lot. So what about having to go a day without being abused by Rome, the WWJ, which is walking while Jewish, kind of the New Testament version of DWB, driving while black? So don't be unduly worried. You're kidding me, Jesus, (laughs) right? And who wasn't worried? King Herod was worried about John's condemnation of his recent illicit marriage. The zealots were worried about how to overthrow Rome. The Nabataeans were worried about Rome's incursion into their monopoly on high-end incense. The Roman soldiers were on alert for any Jewish uprising. The Pharisees were worried about this upstart Jesus and his message. The people on the hill were just worried. They had to survive another day of weakness, illness, demon possession, uh, you know, wrap it all up, shame in this honor-shame culture. If Is Jesus's message distilled to a bumper sticker? Hey, if God's concerned with birds, how dare you worry? <laughs> right? How can you call yourself a good Jew or a good Christian if you're, you're anxious? Where's your faith, man? Where's your faith, woman? Just choose to accept your lot. Well, that sounds more like stoicism or fatalism or Hinduism. So go ahead, work hard, because that's important too, but don't be anxious. I mean, really? Doesn't it sound insensitive when you just, and when it rolls off your tongue? Doesn't it sound inhuman, fatalistic? Look, I mean, I'm a big fan and student of neuroscience. There's a neuroscience to anxiety. Fear is typically generated by a small almond-sized part of your midbrain called the amygdala. You've heard of the fear cycle. There's a trigger. Let's say you see a mountain lion 10 feet from you or, or another notice from the creditor about bills due. And there is an immediate release of cortisol that shuts down your prefrontal cortex, initiates an immediate reaction of fight, flight, and freeze. And the brain's complex memory system is also at play. A quick search of the hippocampus at light speed. The hippocampus is where memories along with emotions are stored. And that makes the reaction bigger or theoretically smaller. And that chemical brain cocktail uh, is going to run its course in three to five hours and the reasonable prefrontal cortex is back in charge, and and hopefully in three to five hours, you get back down to normal. But anxiety is even more complex. It seems to involve the prefrontal cortex in your frontal lobe, as well as the DACC, the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex uh, in your frontal lobe. And what it does is amplify fear cycles or signals coming from the amygdala. And then there's the counterpart, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which dampens the signal from the amygdala. Sorry for getting into the weeds, but, but track with me a little longer. Anxiety seems to happen when, when you get caught in a long-term cycle of this of your brain system involving some subconscious knee-jerk reaction of the amygdala, the hippocampus, the PFC, the DACC, and the VPC. And this is happening under the brain's cover of secrecy, because meaning you don't have any lever that you can pull to stop it or adjust it. Think a low-level drip, drip, drip of cortisol that never seems to stop. 
So it's like a fear type of PTSD. It's subconscious, and you can't change it. It's not under the management of your prefrontal cortex. You can't just choose to not be anxious. Anxiety happens. Some more to some people and then to others. There's seasons of it, but anxiety happens. Now, today we can control it to some degree with drugs, and long-term counseling can be effective, again, in some cases, but anxiety bubbles up. Uh, To tell a person who is suffering from chronic anxiety to just stop being anxious, that's really going to be ineffective. As a matter of fact, guess what? It's going to make them anxious. Jesus, the creator of their brains, knows this more than anyone. And I would remind us that Jesus's human body will also know it. He'll know what fear and anxiety looks like. And among the many things that happens uh, that Jesus's body was experiencing in the garden as he waited for Judas to betray him, you remember the story? It, It looks like symptoms of anxiety and fear. If anyone could have stopped the fear, or to put it another way, if anyone had enough faith to trust his father and for the anxiety to just dissolve, it was Jesus. And yet, his autonomic, sympathetic nervous system, his SNS, just did its thing. Jesus seemed to experience anxiety. Now, I'm trying to be theologically careful. I'm not trying to make some higher theological point about Jesus's divinity and humanity. All I'm saying is that anxiety happens to the best of us. And if it's driven by our SNS, which is automatic, it's subconscious, you can't stop it. You can't just choose to have more faith. All right, back to what Jesus says. 625, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Oh my, that just made everybody on the hillside anxious. So therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And again, everybody was looking at everybody else going, what? What, what, what? what did he just say? Is not life more than food? Well, yeah. And the body more than clothing? Yeah. All right. All right. Anxious. Um, Merimnao. It's, uh, it means to be worried, uh, to be unduly concerned. Okay, that helps, I think. Uh, but look, in seasons, who isn't? I'm just suggesting, again, unless you're a sociopath. Verse 26. Jesus is being so reasonable. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Hmm. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? True true statement. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Jesus, read the room. Look at the people on that hillside, who many of whom were, were in rags. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Um, thrown into oven? What? Wait, what? <laughs> 31. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles uh, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Uh, By the way, Jesus, there's Gentiles on the hill as well. All right, so look, so Jesus begins this section with what would appear to be reasonable, higher logic. I've heard it preached that way. All of these things are, are wisdom statements, proverbial 
He's speaking to the prefrontal cortex of all the listeners then and today. Look, let's be reasonable here. I just want to everybody take a breath and think about it. We're all going to think about it. Here it is. Why worry? You're certainly more valuable to the to God than birds. And by the way, remember, these people didn't think they were being valuable to God. They were cursed by God. So again, I'm going to ask a question. What What is Jesus trying to accomplish here? Uh, and stay with me. So, so what good is being anxious, he's arguing? It can't fix you. You Jews, come on, can't you trust your covenant father in heaven? And again, this, these are Jews who came back from exile, and they've been occupied almost ever since, except for 100 years. So the way it's typically preached is, if you were rational, uh, wouldn't you just say, oh my gosh, of course, I got lost for a second. Thank you for talking me off the cliff, Jesus. You're right. I can stop being anxious now, my bad. And that's what pastors and counselors have been trying to tell us. How's that going for us? I mean, really? I mean, is this really, really, really reasonable? Is, he, is Jesus being helpful at this point? I'm going to say no, not yet. And that's his whole point. I think he's mocking these instructions. All right, so let me back that up. As in every part of the Sermon on the Mount, you can see the exact same rhetorical strategy, the flow. You, sh- should, you shouldn't be angry, but you will be angry. You shouldn't lust, but you will. You shouldn't get divorced, but you will. You should pray God's will be done all the time, but come on, the reason you're praying is you kind of want something, right? And So how's all that going for you at every point? moment in the Sermon on the Mount, except for the Beatitudes, which was just, I give, I give, I give, I give, when it talks about what we should be doing, we have to respond. I think the point is we won't, we can't. Something inside of men and women post-Eden is broken. It's corrupted. We can't love, not like God says. We can't be loved, not like we experienced in the garden pre-fall. Meaning, we need a rescue. That's the point. You can't be reasonable and stop your anxiety. And and that's the point. Uh, Those people would have been going, you know what? We we don't really trust God and his goodness towards us. My life has happened to me, and I've tried to stop being anxious. My brain won't let me. My brain's going to do what brains do. It triggers. My body gets flooded with cortisol. I can't stop it. And boom, there's anxiety. And it only makes me more anxious when I focus on it. So there's a history of times when I trusted God and nothing happened. No one came to my aid. I was alone, crying out. No one there. No one had my back. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sounds pretty familiar. Psalm 22. All of those stored moments in my hippocampus only make me more uh, uh, anxious and make the anxiety attack more painful and longer. Jesus, look at us. We're on this hillside. Where's God been for us? How could you say that he loves us as much as he loves birds? Yeah, the birds are doing fine, Jesus. So why should we trust him? We've been there, done that. Now you're standing up there saying that we just need to be reasonable? Is that all you've got? We need some healing. No, that's not all Jesus has got. That's his point. He's using Jewish rhetoric. They can't be anxious. They cannot not be anxious. Sorry. You understand that? Sorry for the double negative. They can't not be anxious. They have human 
physiological reasons to be anxious. It's brain science. Reason and being reasonable isn't going to cut it. You've tried. If not, try it again. They need more. They need a power more powerful than their sympathetic nervous system. So what is that? Well, I'm going to tell you. But first, (laughs) this is a very good place. Don't get anxious. This is a good place for another sponsor break. What is the fix for anxiousness? Well, I'll tell you in just a moment. All right, welcome back. Um, Hopefully, this hasn't made you anxious. It's kind of giving you some hope. What you were probably anxious about is that I was going to tell you the same claptrap that everybody's been telling you that hadn't been working. All right? So Jesus was building up to the point, and here's the point. Matthew 6.33. But seek, but seek first. He's not saying be reasonable. He's saying, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Zeteo, to seek. Um, and this is not just, uh, oh, I lost my keys. I'm going to go check in the, in the bureau. It's a serious effort to realize an objective. You're striving for something. And in this case, it's a search for, a search for this relationship with God that reduces anxiety. Okay? Kingdom of God and his righteousness, those are idioms we've said before for God himself and and being in relationship with him. So seek first this embrace of God that reduces anxiety. Uh, and, And here's the point. Anxiety happens but it has a weakness. Its Achilles heel is found in an experience of the height and width and length and depth of the love of God for you right now. That's the whole point. You want to reduce your anxiety. You need to be in, you need to experience, and we'll tell you how it's simple. A child could do it to experience the, uh, the, the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for you right now. Does that make sense? Uh, and again, simple. We'll show you how in just a second. In attachment theory, all of us have a couple of subconscious questions that our brain is just designed to ask. It's jonesing for positive answers. Even infants' brains, uh, one of those questions, uh, two of them kind of uh, become one question. And this is long before an infant can conceive of the question, the objection, the, the issues. They seem to be asking, the, their brain seems to be asking a single question. And here it is. Is there anyone there for me? Is there anyone out there who cares? They're developing DACC that measures pain and loneliness and fear, says cry and cry and cry and cry until someone, some parent or caregiver or trusted adult sticks their face down in front of the child and says, oh, I'm here. I've got you. I am here for you. And the child may be wet or hungry or afraid, feel abandoned or pain. They don't know because their brain can't process that. But their brain is is calling out for someone to be there. It's how they're made. It's how we survive. It's very sophisticated for a newborn brain. It's how they're created. And we know that the child is not born um, to emotionally know how to self-regulate. They do not have the capacity to emotionally self-regulate. So the loving caregiver must be that external emotional regulator for the child. The, the caregiver regulates the child's emotion when they are bonded in attunement. Um, and you know attunement, when the mother or, or parent or caregiver holds up the baby, they look eye to eye. There is an actual 
chemical neural connection. There are mirror neurons that are formed. And uh, the same chemicals are popping off in the brain of the mother and the child at the same time. And the child feels less anxious. Does that make sense? That's all we're talking about is how we're, that's how we're made. So together, the mother the, or the caregiver and the child at an intimate attuning unity, the child's anxieties become regulated and manageable, not by the child's brain, but by the adults in that loving, physical, emotional, spiritual attunement. And it happens time and time and time again. That's all we're saying is we need God to help us emotionally self-regulate today. And if this takes place, this is interesting, attachment theory, if this takes place enough, and enough is three out of 10 uh, interactions with the child between the third trimester of pregnancy and year two, the child is going to develop very powerful, secure, entrenched inner working models of their brain that will lead them to, when they enter the next stage of life, to trust co-regulators. And they'll begin to come up with strategies to regulate their own anxieties, Um it's, look, it's, it's so so helpful. If you want to dig deeper into the attachment theory and neuroscience, take advantage of our free online teaching for Christian parents of teens and tweens. We call it goodenoughparent.online, goodenoughparent, and you can access that at goodenoughparent, one word, goodenoughparent.online. And we'll send you 15 10-minute parent tips, one, one a day for 15 days. Uh, you don't have to be a parent of teens to play. If you're just interested in neuroscience and attachment theory, uh, go for it. Uh, again, goodenoughparent.online. It's free, no charge. You will learn so much about how the brain deals with anxiety and relationship. I think what Jesus is saying is going to make a lot of sense. It's free. We've had uh, donors actually uh, pre-fund this, and thank you to those donors. We appreciate it. So take advantage of it. Good enough, parent. Online, pass that on. All right, back to Jesus. Look, his point in the Sermon on the Mount is that we're not going to, on our own, love God, love others, and we won't feel God's love enough. Our brain's crying out for, is there anyone out there for me? And and there's stuff in the brain, these inner working models that are preventing me from feeling God's love. And so no wonder anxiety bubbles up. So I need an intervention. I need heavenly attunement ongoing that can cause me, that can regulate my emotions with me. And that includes anxiety. And that's what the idiom kingdom of God and his righteousness refers to. Don't try to uh, narrowly define that into something. It's, I need to be in attunement with God, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. That's, that's what that's talking about. So stop looking for tips and tricks for you to stop your anxiety, uh, or to have more faith, or to look, throw yourself into his arms like a love-starved lover, and begin to access his power through the spirit in your inner being to begin to feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for you, uh, meaning that, that, that is beginning to unravel your anxiety. Then you can begin to attune with the perfect love that casts out fears. There is a perfect love that casts out fears. It's the same thing, right? That attunement love begins to unravel my fears. That's First John 4, 18. So, Verse 34 in Matthew 6, therefore, and once you get all that taken care of, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. But by the way, sufficient is the kingdom of God as well. Look, when I'm actually dependent upon my heavenly, active, loving co-regulator, I can hear all of this about anxiety and I can laugh. And I can listen to Jesus's being reasonable and I can hear the joke. But my infantile brain is still crying out, is there anyone there for me? You know, bad things happen in my day and there it pops out again. But in the arms of my heavenly daddy, my heavenly parent, my co-regulator, emotionally, I have new peace. It doesn't change my need for food. I still got to eat. It doesn't affect the rags that I'm wearing. I still need to work or beg. It doesn't pay the bills. It, it doesn't cure cancer or COVID. It doesn't stop that person from shaming or bullying me or, or treating me prejudicially, all of those things. And Jesus said, I'm still going to be persecuted by following him. That's the Beatitudes. He made it so clear. But something has changed. I am now a little more dependent upon the power of God, the love of God, the gospel, and I'm resting there more. So it's not a rebuke of Jesus towards anxious people. God just makes anxious people more anxious. We'll talk about that in the next section on judging. And remember, the crowd he's speaking to, it sounds like a rebuke at first, but again, like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it's a good Hebrew rhetorical strategy. Unfortunately, we just, we miss the strategy. I think he's making fun of people trying to be reasonable, getting rid of their anxiety. Uh, and, and I'm not, look, again, Long-term counseling can help. I get it. Don't, don't get me wrong. But there's something even more powerful, and that's this attunement with God, this a spiritual attunement, I call it. So all that reason is keeping people from understanding they can't do it on their own. It actually is encouraging them to do it on their own, and that's the wrong direction. Um, it's what Jesus is hoping that at the end of uh, that paragraph that people are going, I'm screwed. I I've tried to stop anxiety. Uh, how can I be saved? Who then can be saved? Like the disciples say. I mean, imagine a good mother coming to her crying baby and saying, just stop crying. Let me explain how unreasonable it is. I'm here. I'm the mother. I'm going to take care of you. Don't you trust me? Well, the baby's just going to keep crying, <laughs> right? It's an absurd image. And it's also not Jesus urging the anxious to work harder at finding the kingdom by being more righteous, meaning that if you just stopped sinning and did the righteous thing like praying and tithing and evangelizing more, then your anxiety would dissolve. I haven't found that. So stop with those guilt trips. It just makes me more anxious. Listen, the kingdom and his righteousness is already yours. So when he says seek for it, you already have it. You're just not experiencing it. Does that make sense? That's important. Jesus, by his work and death on the cross 2,000 years ago, purchased for you already. You have the spirit in your inner being. So infant, good luck stopping to stop crying on your own. Instead, while in the middle of anxiety and crying, look up into his eyes. Remember, I mean, the eyes filled with light, remember? And drink it in or changing metaphors. And here we go, ask. Um, ask. And again, here's the simple and cluttered gospel. I told you I would tell you how to do this and do it over and over and over and over until something happens in your midbrain. This is preaching the gospel to your midbrain. And here it is again. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. By the way, I could have said anxious Jesus follower. Uh, let me do that. Anxious Jesus follower. 
I get it, you're anxious, but strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart. As much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, he can't love you any more or any less than he does right now, no matter how hard you seek for his kingdom and his righteousness. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better, like working harder to to seek his kingdom and his righteousness or being reasonable about your anxiety harder or enough, whatever that means. Not so. So how do you experience it more now and your anxiety less? Simple. Good news. There is something you can do, you're invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know. Forget the help help me prayers, make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. This is the perfect love that casts out fear and anxiety. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. Uh, Think addiction. We're actually trying to create a new addiction inside your midbrain that it will run to when you're anxious. Uh, Try that. Try it twice a day for 30 days and let us know. Bill at gospel-app.com what you're experiencing. And enjoy the attunement co-regulation from your Heavenly Father. Don't be ashamed that you can't regulate on your own. You're not the first. It's, it's universal. It's brain science, really. And after you feel attended to, like you're an infant, and adored and loved, and there's that attunement connection p- between you and your Heavenly Caregiver, then, then ask God about what to do with your wet diaper, or your fear and anxiety, or your hunger, or your bills, or the abuse. And try that. And look, here's here's the thing I can say with some assurance. Heaven's going to be great. It's going to be anxiety-free. This ain't heaven. All right, look, we've been at this for a while, over a year, the Sermon on the Mount. Are you picking up the flow of the Sermon on the Mount? I know it's a head trip and we're changing how people are taking this. We should be loving God and others. We should be experiencing God's love for other for ourselves. That's reasonable, right? But we don't, we won't, we can't, not on our own. Uh, We can try working harder. Good luck with that. That'll make you more anxious. We can try doing Torah more and better enough, whatever that is. Or we can look up by faith in the eyes of Jesus, stop our flailing, and depend more upon him by asking the Spirit to make me uh, feel, access the power of God, to begin to feel the height and width, length, and depth of love of Christ. Just ask. Faith, that faith that we're talking about is God-sourced. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. You've heard me say that again in Galatians 5. Uh, it's written usually in translation, faithfulness, but it's faith. It's, it's from God. I need faith. I, I need to experience faith more. I ask for it. You can't just choose to believe more, better, or enough. You can ask. That's what you can do, the Spirit to give you more. That's storing up your wealth in the heavenly kingdom, remember? That's pursuing the kingdom and God's righteousness, remember? That's following Jesus. All right. Uh, You know, we are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, probably in January sometime. We're headed towards the anchor of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is the familiar and often misunderstood parable of the two houses. Remember, one built on sand, one built on rock. Boy, have we screwed that one up big time. And I think you're going to be surprised, or maybe not after hearing me for all of these these podcasts. Uh, A few more podcasts in between. And listen, where are we going after the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, I think... I think I'm ready. Around Valentine's Day, uh, you'll see why. I'm going to begin a series on the Song of Songs in the Old Testament. It's, uh, 
It will be eventually evolve into a new small group study, maybe two on the book. Uh, and, and by the way, a book that I'm writing uh, on, the, on the Song of Songs. I'm building it on the framework that uh, was in my first book, the one that, that I was co-authored with Colleen Pepper. You can check it out, The Kiss of God. It's on Amazon. And you might be surprised. I think that you will love it. It's, it's perfectly in sync, I think, with everything we've been saying about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but again, if you read it, you might be wildly surprised. Uh, I think so. Uh, in our first book, Colleen and I were told by a, a well-known evangelical publisher that, that uh, we, we, they wouldn't publish the book eventually because it would offend too many of their readers. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, it, it's time to be offended. That's all I'll say. That's my little teaser. All right, we're going to pick it up next time as Jesus challenges something that is almost universal to the human condition, particularly now in the middle of COVID and cancel culture. He says, stop judging others. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. We'll see you then. Okay, no judgment. Thanks again to Life Audio for their support of this podcast. Check out other podcasts at their website, lifeaudio.com. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take heart, child of God. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth, unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.